Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hello and welcome. I'm so pleased you would listen in today. If you like today's episode, please share it, and I'd love it if you could subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so more people can discover this podcast. First, I have a shout out for you. I was a guest on Jessica Dahlquist's show, The Extraordinary Moms Podcast, and it aired yesterday. It is nerve-wracking to be a guest, so I understand my interviewee so much better now, but Jessica made me feel so great, and I talk a lot about my struggles with eating disorders, my obsession with perfectionism, and how this translated to my growth as a mother. I've included a link to that podcast episode in my show notes, and highly recommend you follow Jessica as well. She just has the best podcast. You can find my show notes on my website, aboutprogress.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook at About Progress. Let me tell you about who you will be hearing from today. Seth Adam Smith is the author of a very, very viral article that circulated the internet a few years ago called Marriage Isn't For You. He is also the author of four books, his latest being a work of fiction. He has been a writer his whole life, and he has been writing a lot about his struggle with depression, and he did so long before it was the cool thing to do. Seth has struggled with chronic depression for the majority of his life, and we talk about his lowest low when he attempted to commit suicide, and what he has done to turn what could have been disastrous into something so transformative. I want to let Seth do the talking here because he's so good with words and incredibly thought-provoking. Let's turn to our interview together. Hi, I'm here with Seth Smith. Hi, Seth. Hi, Monica. This is so fun to have you on the show. Could you please give our listeners an introduction? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be a part of this. Good, um, me too. So uh, my name is Seth Adam Smith, and that's uh, sethadamsmith.com. Um, I, I go by my, my three names um, because because of my mother. My mother gave me all three of those names, and she was very proud of that, and she instilled a love of my name, you know. So that's why I do yeah, all that. three names. I'm not a I'm not a serial killer. A lot of people ah, think. Okay. That I but um, <laughs> my family is originally from Anchorage, Alaska, but we moved to Utah around the time that that I was ten or was eight or ten, and and right now my wife and I currently live in in Mesa, Arizona, where I work as the the marketing director for the Anasazi Foundation. Um, Anasazi Foundation is a, a wilderness therapy program for at-risk youth. Uh, as far as what I'm passionate about, I, I love being involved in good causes. I love working on projects that are inspirational. So so really anything that, that brings light into the world, anything that inspires people to move forward uh, through the what I call the wilderness of the world. Um, right now, currently I'm working on a, on a suicide prevention project. Um, this, this project is primarily focused on content creation, but, uh, I'm collaborating with a lot of really inspiring people, uh, to create blog posts and articles, uh, videos and podcasts, really just anything that, that brings light to people. Um, but I mean, I guess as far as what I'm really known for, uh, probably, you know, my writing and my blogging. Uh, I think most people are, are familiar with my blog post, Marriage Isn't For You. Mm-hmm. Um, that article went, went viral a few years ago. Um, but I, I was also in the, the Mormon message sitting on the bench, which was uh, really the, uh, the LDS church's first um, real Mormon message on, on suicide prevention. Wow. Uh, Mm-hmm. But apart from that, you know, my wife and I, we just had our, our daughter. She's a, a beautiful girl, Shannon. Uh, she was born in December of 2016, and she's a little over four months old, and she's all smiles, and we just we love her. Oh, it's fun to hear that whole introduction. I'm sure uh, we'll be able to tell people more about our – well, we, we've known each other for quite some time since you moved to Utah. You moved to the same neighborhood, so – uh, it's fun seeing how far you've come and, and what you're doing with your life. And I'm just so thrilled we get to hear more about you. You mentioned about uh, your viral article, which I want to talk about, but you've had such great success with your writing career. And 
you know, you had that viral article and it turned into four books. And the most recent was a novel that is on my bookshelf right now. And Ooh. yeah, so we'll, I want to talk about how you started small, though, and what your beginnings were like in writing. And so what was that like for you? Um, yeah, so my earliest beginnings were actually in, in, in fourth grade. And you'd know about that because you were in my fourth grade class. Yep. <laughs> um, so we, I mean, you know, at the time, Goosebumps was really popular. Um, and I I actually, I wrote uh, a few uh, sequels to some of my favorite Goosebumps books. And I, I think I think I, I had my mom actually send a couple of them to R.L. Stein. Oh yeah, um, yeah. He didn't he didn't reply, um, which I found very disheartening. But <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I, I think I've actually read a couple of those of your oh. sequels. Oh well, hopefully you don't have any copies. Not right now. I I don't sadly. <laughs> um. Well, I mean, my real writing actually began in, in sort of a. a really roundabout way um it began with with video production oh um in i mean like i started making uh videos in in 2003 actually with with jeff pooley um and and then in 2006 i started publishing those those videos on a brand new website called youtube ah uh, yeah yeah <laughs> okay it was brand new yeah yeah what were those videos about then well, the, the videos that I was publishing in 2006 were primarily LDS because at the time um, there were no positive LDS uh, videos. Okay. It was all mm-hmm. negative. So I was I was doing a lot of those first positive LDS videos. And they were really basic. I mean, mostly music and pictures. Um, really, it's just slideshow material. So nothing really. So you were just like writing scripts and that's how, that's kind of what tailored this interest of yours and got you um, peaked into writing. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a strange thing. I mean, because yeah, video production, it taught me more about effective writing than I think anything else. And I, and I know that sounds strange, but really a lot of the creative endeavors carry the same sort of principles, you know, and, and remarkably those, those principles are just transferable. So with video production, you really have to think things like, what does my audience want to watch and and what what are they looking for what don't they know about a particular subject what what's the most interesting way of communicating information uh, communicating this message is there a unique and entertaining way of of, of maybe drawing them in um, and so a lot of what I learned from video production and even structuring the videos um, it, it really applied to writing a book or a novel you know you just have oh, to yeah. Things in mind, like what's what? How do you draw them in? How do you how do you get them interested in clicking on your article? How do you get them interested in wanting to pick up your book? Um, and then how do you keep them interested? I mean, it was the same. It was the same sort of principle, just without a lot of background music, right? Oh, that's so true. I never thought of it that way, though. Yeah. So it, I mean, again, a lot of when it comes to any creative endeavor, there's no labor is lost because a lot of the skills that you develop. Um, in any creative endeavor are, are transferable. You can take them from one thing to another if you kind of look at the principles of what you're learning. I love that. No labor is lost with creative endeavors. That's so cool. So when when did writing become more than a hobby for you? Oh, I mean, honestly, I think the decision for writing was made a long time before I was born. Um, and, and, I, and I mean that like in a spiritual sense. I've, I've always had stories or, or novels just sitting in my brain. I've always had these characters running around inside and having adventures. And I, I, I mean, honestly, I probably have enough material in my head for just, <laughs> just dozens of books or, or novels, and if not, you know, hundreds, because, I mean, I... I, there's just so many characters and so many stories that I'm interested in. And I think one of the reasons I write is just to keep my head from exploding. Yeah. Um, but I mean, honestly, I think the real reason why I write is, is because it, it, it keeps me in touch with God. Um, yeah. in a, in a very real way, I, I, believe that I was meant to write. I just, I just feel like that was what I was supposed to do, what I've always been meant to do. And, and I, and I feel like God will speak to me in a way through my writing. If that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. I, I mean, like I, I, I feel like, 
I mean, I feel like sometimes there's things I've written that just don't feel like, uh, that, that just don't feel like Seth. That's something that I would come up with. Um, there are, there are times I feel like I've written things that speak to me specifically and, and that teach me what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and, and I kind of, again, I, I think that's true for, for anyone. That's not just true for me. I feel like anyone who is pursuing something that's good or something that they're passionate about or something they feel called to do, I, I think God will speak to those people and will speak to them that he'll speak to us as we labor or, I mean, to put it another way, I think I think we hear God most effectively when we work or when we work on something that's good. Wow. Sorry, that one's just sinking in. That's really that's really cool to think about it that way. You know, you know, right. So you're looking at as a gift, it seems it really has felt like a divine gift for you. Well, I wouldn't call it that. I, I I don't I don't know if it's a gift. I but I certainly do feel like it's it's just the way that it's it's the it's way a in which yeah it's the way in which I was meant to operate in the world. Okay, I like that framework. So you know, a lot of times you hear people who are writers and they talk about writing, and they make it often sound like the hardest thing to get things down on paper. And I, I think that can be very true, um, but maybe not always. I want to know for you, what are some of your go-to ways to stay productive and fruitful as a writer? Um, and what would you what would you say about writing in general for you? What that process is like? Uh, I never I never feel like I'm as productive as I could be. Um, but you know, I think that's how everyone feels about everything they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I. For me to be productive, I have to be free from as many distractions as possible, which is, I know, easier said than done. Um, yeah, that's but, hard. <laughs> yeah, that's especially you know now that we have a, a kid, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like almost impossible, right? Yeah. Um, but when I was working on my novel, um, I knew that if I was going to do that, I had to. I mean, I had to really mean it, and mm-hmm. so. I had to wake up early. I mean, super early. Like I was, I was waking up at three or four a.m. Um, I would turn wow. off the, the, the uh, yeah. <laughs> I would, I would turn off the internet. Um, it drove my wife crazy because I'd forget to turn it back on because because <laughs> then I couldn't log into Facebook or check anything. Like I, the internet was dead. Um, okay. And then I would write for a few hours, just solid uh, hours. I just write. Um, and then I, I can only write, really write intensely for about three hours a day before my brain turns to, you know, mush. Um, and then after I get that out of the way, so that's the first three hours of the day, then I can go and do other things. I can go to work. I can spend time with my family. I can exercise. I can go to sleep and then, you know, start the process all over again the next day. Okay. So is that something you still do every day or is this just when more when you have a certain project in in mind? Yeah, that I mean that that one in particular was for the novel or a book when I know I have something I'm supposed to create. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll 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 adopt that schedule. But for a blog post or something, I'll wake up a little earlier, you know, and and I typically take 2 days for a, a a blog post because I want to be very thoughtful about it. So what I'll, I'll write it earlier in the day, like, you know, six in the morning, I'll spend two hours on it and then I'll come back to it the next day and, and review it because I mean, taking two days on a blog post is, is probably good standard, you know, just review it and see with a fresh pair of eyes the next day. Well, that care you take into your writing. I mean, it is so present. I love reading your blog posts and I've loved reading your articles and your books as well. That careful sense is is there. And I I don't know, I can't recommend enough that people read all those things. And, but I do love, especially with your blog posts, how you weave in so much history. I mean, you are basically a historian and you're unfolding these stories in a way that are so connective to what your general theme is and your, and your goal I just want to know that this, this isn't to ask you a question just to say like, good job. And I love <laughs> reading your writing. Well, thank you. I, that's, I, I, I love uh, American history in particular. And I think 
I found so many wonderful stories. It, something clicked a while ago. Um, I realized that these people were real, like me. Yeah. And they didn't. They didn't know yeah. <laughs> what was going to happen the next day, and they they did these amazing things. And they weren't perfect, but they still did incredible things. And and once I realized that they were real, just like you know you or I. I mean, something about that became very empowering, and so I just love putting history into uh, into my writings, whatever they are, because it it again, it's it's real. Like these people went through real things, and so are we. We're going through our own histories, and it's important to keep a connection to our roots. Yeah, my father would be a big uh, supporter of that. He's he's always <laughs> raised me to be that way too. Um, I want to turn now to to talking about your article. The article "Marriage Isn't for You." Um, before that, you you really you were writing a lot. You were writing your blog, and um, it's hard work. I mean, as you say, you take you know at least two days to write a post, probably a lot longer on on many of them. But uh, this is the first post that really went big and like really big, and it struck a chord with millions of people. So, how many views has it had now? Oh. Um, by my count, that article, you know, this is by my own count, the metrics I can look at, um, that article has had around 50 million views. Holy cow. Yeah. But I, knew, I knew it was in the millions, but 50 million, and, but it's probably even more than that. Well, it is because um, I, I have no way of knowing for sure because the, the article was republished on so many different sites, on Huffington Post, on other news you know, English news channels. Um, but also, um, it's been retranslated, you know, or, or just translated know. to different languages and republished on, uh, on so many different websites. I can't even keep track. I mean, Facebook pages, just uh, people will publish it as a post in a different language on Facebook, or they'll, I get all these backlinks from different websites, you know, and, in Russian, Slovenian, and Chinese, I I have no way of knowing. So it's it's really from what I see and and the links, the backlinks that I get, and then looking at those web pages. I mean, it's probably closer to a hundred million views. Wow, you know that that post it's so incredible, and it deserves that many views and more so. And you know, we could spend the rest of our time talking about what you learned through that article alone, but. I want to know more about the aftermath, you know, of having this viral post shared around the world. For a lot of people with their first break, I'm sure they just go on a huge mind trip after, especially with that much pressure in mind. Um, did you struggle with feelings of worry about how you were going to keep up with it and how you were going to continue on in your success? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I did. Um, I mean, you hit it on the head. Um that's exactly what happened to me. I did have a mind trip. Um, I was out of it for a really long time. In fact, I, I didn't really start feeling like myself again until um, probably last year. Um, wow. And because like, you were on the news. I mean, there, there, were, there was a lot of things going on there and you got book deals out of it. Yeah, t- t- yeah. So tell me about that process then. Tell me about why it, why it was the mind trip and and why it's been a process to get out of it. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people expected the same level of success. I mean, my publishers, they were, they were both wonderful. I mean, I, I can't say enough praise uh, for m- both of my publishers. Um, but, you know, they, in the back of their minds, of course, they were hoping for the same kinds of success. And my books, you know, were successful, but they weren't 50 million, 100 million kind of successful. And, and even though they never communicated that to me, in the back of my mind, I was always thinking it. I was thinking I wanted things to sell 50 million, 100 million. I mean, yeah, not just for me, but for them so that they would mm-hmm. maybe get what they were hoping and dreaming. I mean, that was one thing that was on my mind. And then, I mean, obviously, everything that I published afterwards on my blog, I worried are my subscribers hoping for this or did they want something more? Do they want me to talk about marriage? I, 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 I really struggled being the marriage guy, you know, mean primarily because uh-huh. the, the article, you know, the, if you read that article, it's not about me being successful in marriage. It's about my failure in marriage in a sense. And, 
Yeah. You know, then, then I mean, figuring out what to write, if, <laughs> if I don't really want to write about marriage, I mean, it, it, those are what the subscribers wanted. And I, I really just wanted to write a novel. And so I was, I was really in a, I was really in a mind trip. Um, for sure. And I struggled with severe self-doubt for a very long time. So how did you counteract those negative voices in time? And how did you move forward in a way that looked successful for you? Um, it, it, it took a while. Like I said, it took, took quite a few years, I guess. I mean, three years, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I thought those negative voices were right. Right. They, they spoke very logical things to me. Um, but but after a while, I just got tired. I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. I I I I couldn't listen to those voices because they they weren't giving me anything productive. Um, they weren't they weren't helping me. Um, they weren't helping me move forward. Um, so so at some point, I just became tired, and, and I and I said, I I can't really listen to. Uh, this self-doubt anymore because it's not it's not taking me anywhere. It's just keeping me in the same place. Um, and then really the other thing that's been helping me lately, like in the past two months, especially, um, has been reaching out more to, to God. And, um, and this actually ties into, you know, not just the self doubt and self, you know, self deprecating beliefs that I've had, but also, um, just my depression, um, you know, anyone who believes they can make it without God is is really lying to themselves. I mean, mm -hmm. willpower alone won't save you from your darkest hours. I mean, you you have to give your will to God, and He will give you the strength to overcome those self doubts. And I I really I firmly believe in that. Oh, I love that willpower will not save you. I mean regardless of if you know the listeners believe in god i mean that's true for everybody you can't do it alone right. you know whether it's reaching up or reaching out or you know in whatever way that's that's essential and you know you brought up you brought up depression i would like to talk about that more um you're, you're very open with your struggle with this chronic depression and i actually first started reading your blog and that was a common topic for you to speak about and you did it in a way that was so honest too and even though people are more honest about those struggles now. It's still difficult. And, but, but when you first started writing, I, I don't think it was as openly talked about then. So uh, I wanted to know why you decided to be open at that part of your life when you began writing about it all. Well, um, there's a couple of reasons. Um, I think the primary reason is uh, demons or depression mm -hmm. loves darkness, right? Yeah. And um, over and over again, I have learned that de my depression will thrive in secrecy. I mean, really, the only way to fight depression in general is to bring it into the light. And you know, mm -hmm. writing writing about it on my blog was was one way of, of bringing it into the light. It's kind of a way of sticking it to the man. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so what does a, a typical period of depression look like for you? And I, I hate to use that word typical, but um, what could that be like for you? Um, it, it manifests itself in several ways. Um, you know, primarily there's a general feeling of hopelessness, which, um, you know, which in turn it'll, it'll cause me to feel apathetic, uh, low energy, um, life will often feel hazy um, in a in a kind of a symbolic way. It'll feel colorless, like mm -hmm. it's devoid of of meaning or fun or energy or purpose or zeal. Um, you know, and a lot of times you'll you'll think back to times where you were happy, where you were a kid, and things seemed so carefree. If only you could go back to the past. If only you could go back to a time when you were happy, and then you know, as time goes on, you'll start to feel like those times didn't even exist, that it wasn't real, that it was just this, you know, this kind of a haze, like a gray haze, everything's mundane and, um, and really dull. Um, you know, and, and then other things, uh, I, you know, I would have trouble sleeping or staying asleep and, and, you know, those symptoms, you know, those typical 
uh, symptoms could last for several weeks or several months or, you know, I mean, sometimes even, even a year, I've, I, I think the longest one I've had was a year and a half. So oh, that oh. just sounds awful. Yeah. A year and a half of that. How, how long do you uh, think that you have dealt with this? Um, it's, it's hard to say, but knowing what I know now, um, about depression, um, you know, and everything I've learned, I think my first experiences with depression in the in the clinical sense really manifested themselves early in my life, and I would I would say that was around third uh, third grade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I I struggled with it off and on throughout elementary school, and uh, I think it skipped middle school. Interestingly you know, for, enough, yeah, yeah. I, I have I have very good memories of of middle school, and I, I'm I'm kind of surprised most people don't, but yeah. I. I Okay with that, and then, yeah. But high school it, it hit again, um, and then obviously in my in my twenties, um, and mm-hmm. I mean throughout my life it it comes back, and and I'm okay with that. I I, I get it now, so it, mm-hmm. it 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 comes back. It goes back and forth. It's I think it's it's a part of life, and I've I've accepted that. So, but yeah, in my twenties was when it hit really hard. You know, it's so hard to to just imagine you. I mean, when we when we were young and friends and. I don't know. It's just it's it's hard to to see that in a in a kid um, going through that at such a young age. And but I can tell you, I mean, this is like I'm going off the script here, but like I can tell you that you've you've changed, like you <laughs> you have changed. And I don't mean that in a way like oh you were bad before or anything like that. But I just mean there's some freedom and acceptance. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I and I feel that I feel that from you. Yeah, and 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 it it's not defeat. It doesn't feel like defeat. No, it's it's no. really quite liberating. It's liberating to say that this is something that is a part of me. It's not my identity. Um, but as long as I acknowledge that it's going to be something that I have to work through a lot um, throughout my life, that's I mean that is incredibly liberating mm-hmm. um, because then. I I can hardly explain it, but there is a power that comes to someone who uh, accepts what's going on and then decides to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, that that's taking control back, you know? So I I really relate to that. In in your blog posts and your books, you share about that lowest low um, that you had when you were 20 years old. Can you tell us about that time for you? Yeah, um, I mean, just a little bit about that time. I, I, I mean, I came to a point where I was just exhausted um, by the cycles of depression that I was continuously experiencing, you know, from third grade. But I didn't really know that it was depression. I mean, mm-hmm. depression makes you think that this is you. You did this. You are this mistake. And I was mm-hmm. just tired of feeling that way and, and tired of all the mistakes I had been making. Um, because really in that state, I, I had made a lot of mistakes and, and not just your average mistakes, but real big life changing mistakes. And, and, um, I was self-medicating with, with painkillers and, and other things and behaviors that, that were just not, just not acceptable. And, I, I just didn't feel like at that point I had anything to look forward to. And it, it, it really was one of the lowest times in my life. And I mean, that was when I a- attempted suicide and, and, and gratefully and thankfully my, my family intervened in a way that, that really resonated with me um, and really helped me recover. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the lowest, lowest period of my life. You know, some of, um, one of the videos I love, it was that Mormon message video that you talked about the bench one. Um, you talk about your brother in that video and how instrumental he was and as well as the rest of your family. And I, I also love how open you were about that, that time for you when, when you were at that point, can you identify now the underlying thoughts in your mind that drove that behavior and those, those choices that could have they could have very easily been the end for you. Yeah. A lot of self-deprecating thoughts, um, thoughts and feelings of complete worthlessness, feelings that, um, that I was broken, 
um, in my mind, uh, in my ability to, to make something that was good or wholesome, um, I, I, I just believed that, that there was nothing I could do um, to make up for how worthless or broken I was. Hmm. Those, yeah. those were, I mean, those are, that's very general, but really, I mean, that was the, the common, the common thing was that I was broken and I was broken beyond repair. So at that point of, of your life, did you, did you identify yourself as a failure? Yeah, actually. Um, but not only that, I, I thought that I was, that I was God's failure. And I know that that's, you know, that, that oh, kind of yeah. sounds arrogant. Uh, that kind of sounds arrogant in a way because, um, you know, like I'm the one failure that God made, you know, mm. somehow that's, I'm number one in a, in a really weird way. Um, but I, I felt like I was God's mistake and that it, it really came to a point where I just wrote things like that in my journal over and over again. I mean, I wrote, I wrote God hates me over and over again in my journal because that's what I was feeling. Um, I still have those pages, but I don't believe it anymore. But I definitely felt like I was a failure. Oh, I think a lot of times this, this sense, too, of being a failure, I mean, it is this this thinking that depression hands to you, this script that it puts in your mind, that also goes hand in hand with some things I do like to talk about with perfectionism and the lie that we tell ourselves with perfectionism, that we have to be perfect or anything less than that is um, is failure. So did, did that come into play at all for you with this depression? Um, well, with your depression in general, um, how does perfectionism come into play? Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, it definitely uh, came into play at the time. I mean, I, I would look at other people my age, particularly men, and and as far as I knew, you know, the, the guys my age were were out doing other things with their lives. They weren't they weren't wallowing in depression, as far as I knew. They were, you know, out at college or they were having fun and, um, you know, going on dates and things. And I and I apparently I wasn't fitting that mold. I wasn't I wasn't like those guys. Um, you know, I was I was isolating myself from everyone else. And I, and I didn't want others to see how broken I was inside. And what about with the other rounds that you've had since then? What, what level does perfectionism still play into your battle with chronic depression? Uh, well, can I get a little philosophical? Yeah, I'd love that. Um, I, I think perfectionism or the idea that life can be perfect here on earth um, and I have to I have to make that clear here on Earth. Um, I think that that idea uh, plays a huge role in in depression in general, because I, I think I think the idea again of perfectionism on Earth is just one of the most evil ideas in circulation, and and I call it evil because it really is. I mean, perfectionism suggests that you are done growing, that you are done progressing, that you know, which is really which is really evil because everything around us, everything organic and alive is progressing in some fashion. I mean, it's, it's moving, right? Huh. Um, nothing huh. on this, on this earth, nothing that's alive is ever done growing. Earth is not our final destination. It's a, it's a place designed for us to walk through, but it's not somewhere we're meant to stop and stay, you know? And, and so to suggest that someone on earth has achieved perfection, that they can, that they can stand still suggests that they just aren't alive or that they're not progressing. And in a weird way, the desire to be perfect on earth is a, is a kind of deadly desire. It, it really stops us from, from moving forward, from, from progressing. I think I've got the next topic for your, for our next <laughs> book there. That... <laughs> That is crazy, like in a well, very good way. Like that's kind of blowing my mind right now. Well, that's why I think you're, yeah, that's why your your podcast is, is perfect. I mean, progress is the key. Um, but I never and- thought of it that way. <laughs> How you said it, that's incredible. I mean, just to connect it with the earth. Like I, that's one thing I feel really connected with is the earth. So to put it in that lens, that framework is really incredible. Oh, you're gonna love the brokenness part. I, I haven't. I didn't even write anything because all my thoughts are just all over the map. You're gonna love that. So I, I mean, the earth and everything. I mean, yeah, that's that's what's really helped me out of my depression. So, 
Well, how do you stay on top of it then now? I mean, you've, you've grown so much, but as you said, it's still something that you have to know is going to be a part of your life. So what do you do to stay on top of that? Um, perspective is the best thing. Um, I, you know, I've learned to see my life with two sets of eyes because everything that happens to us should be seen with two sets of eyes, like a a physical set of eyes, the eyes you have in your head and then, uh, spiritual eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, because there are physical things that happen to us and we're supposed to respond to those things in a physical, practical way. And depression is like that. If you're experiencing depression, there are very practical and physical things you can do to help your body and your mind recover. But, you know, like, like seeing a doctor, getting medication, if that's something your doctor suggests, talking to a friend, getting exercise, sunlight and uh, nutrition. But, you know, there's also a benefit, I believe, from, from seeing your life with spiritualizer or finding a spiritual meaning to, to what you're going through. Um, you know, one of the things that has been really helpful for me in my struggle with depression is to see it more like, uh, you know, like a, like a spiritual hike through the wilderness, right? You know, there, there's oh. going times when you're walking in the sunlight, um, and there's going to be times when you're walking through the canyon and the hike is extraordinarily difficult and even painful. But, um, and, and, and sometimes you don't even know how long that hike's going to last, um, but I, I, I do know that the hike ends, that there is a place to rest, there is a place to recharge, there is a place to see a very beautiful view and to see everything you've gone through and to realize that that was part of the overall beauty. I mean, that having that perspective has been incredibly helpful to me. Oh, that's so beautiful, Seth. You know, I, I want to talk about how this ties into what you talked about, brokenness. You wrote a blog post on this recently, and it was called The Beauty of Your Brokenness. And you share this quote from Vance Havner. Is that how you say that, Havner? I think so. I think so. so the quote, let me, let me just read it for people. It says, quote, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. Unquote. You talk about this in your post, um, but what what is the beauty of brokenness? Broken um, for me is the place you you really want to be, hmm. um, because uh, you know, like that like that quote suggests. I mean, really, God. God uses, but I mean, I think the better word is God loves broken things. Like he, he really works with broken things. It's, mm-hmm. it's that, that phrase that you hear over and over again, um, the broken heart and the contrite spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, God, God can't really do something for an individual until they reach that point. Um, he can, he can help us certainly, but but really the real power, you see the real power of God when you come to him in humility and you say, God, I, I can't do this anymore. I remember um, when I was struggling with depression really severely. I mean, it was, it was that time during the 20s. And I, I thought I just, like I said, I thought I had made a complete mess of my life and that everything was broken and that I was broken. And I remember coming to God and and basically in a symbolic sense, again, seeing my life with two sets of eyes, I, uh, symbolically, I held out, you know, everything that I had in my life and it was all broken. And I, I said, God, can you do something with this? And he took it and he made it into something more beautiful than I could ever imagine. I mean, just that Mormon message alone, he, he took my story and turned it into something more beautiful than I could have ever done. And and used it as a way to help other people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts. I mean, what God can do with a broken person is absolutely beautiful. So if someone's listening to this and they identify, you know, there are some similarities that they, they carry um, with your story as well. What does it look like for them to be able to use their brokenness as a foundation toward real growth? Um. 
I, I think first and foremost is, is again, reaching out to God. Um, that's again, that's where you see the real power of God, um, being able to give him what is broken in your life. And, you know, I was just reading uh, a post from a friend of mine who, you know, a year and a half ago attended AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time in her life. And, you know, she's, she's in her forties and she's talking about how this past year and a half, as a result of reaching out to God and attending these AA meetings, being at the lowest of the low, now, after a year and a half, she's never felt better and never felt like she's grown as much as she has in the past year and a half. And so I, I, I think there's just something about that, uh, that, that God loves, you know, broken things and, and people who feel broken. Um, I, I know myself that I've, I've, I felt a transformation from that, and I know that that God is able um, to do that for other people who are identifying with those feelings. You know, you also shared on your blog a wonderful antidote to depression. You say, um, quote, depression thrives in secrecy but shrinks in empathy, unquote. And you directed this more toward how someone can help a loved one who is battling depression but I'd also like to say that this empathy is very powerful when we use it on ourselves. And I think this can arise from how we own our brokenness. And I wanted to know what your thoughts are on uh, how these two ideas connect. Yeah, I actually wrote about this thought um, in my um, in my novel. And I, I don't want to spoil it in a way. Yeah. So okay. I will... No, don't worry. Uh, I, I can tell it in a way that's not spoiling it. There's a there's a figure, a, a person in that book who is um, a gardener, and he's talking to a young man who feels broken, right? I mean, I'm I, I, I in this novel, I'm really writing this character as somebody who's who's struggling with depression, mm. and he feels broken, um, and this gardener. At one point, while he's talking to this boy, the gardener reaches by um, and, and grabs a, a fruit from a tree. He pulls it down and he says, I understand right now that you don't feel like you could ever become like the tree, that you could become something as great and as wonderful as this tree. But you see this fruit, this fruit looks nothing like the tree at all. And yet, within this fruit are the seeds, which will one day make it look a lot like the tree. But what it first has to do is it has to fall, and it has to die. Right? In a sense, it, the, the yeah. seeds have to break. They, they have to become something different. And I, and I, I think about that a lot in, in terms of brokenness and depression and how we can arise from our own brokenness, right? Because it's okay. It's okay that if, it's okay if you feel like you're broken. I, I think you're in a really good place because, you know, like the, like the fruit from that tree, we are meant to become something far more than what we look like, you know, or what we're dealing with or what we're experiencing. We, we may feel like we've fallen. We may feel like we're, you know, you know, we may feel rotten inside. Um, we may feel broken, but really that's all part of this process of growing and becoming something bigger, something better, something God intends us to be. If we just look to that light that's above us, right? God is there and he's calling us to become something more than what we are. But that does require a lot of pain. That does require a lot of change. That does require that we feel um, broken. But I, I do believe, you know, like when when Christ says, you know, having faith as a mustard seed. I don't think he's he's quantifying it as like you know your faith has to has to weigh as much as a mustard seed. I I think what he's what he's implying is that you have the faith as a mustard seed, that a mustard seed has that faith that it will become this really big tree. And, and, and even though you may be something that, you know, at, at some stage you may feel small, you may feel insignificant or alone, um, if you retain that faith of what you can become, um, if you, you know, you're, you're, the seed eventually will break, there will be a crack, but that's, 
if you still retain that belief, um, you can arise from your own brokenness. You can you can rise above the dirt, above that you know that lowly feeling, and, and really become something something more, something what God intends you to be. So, what is this looking like for you right now? What are you using? Uh, from your from your life and how are you moving towards what you think your purpose is now and what that looks like for you um for me right now i i i you know i've lately been feeling a, a call to be doing um to be writing a lot about suicide prevention and so currently i am um, working on a big suicide prevention project uh, again this this is mostly about content creation creating content that's Helping people who are struggling with these kinds of these kinds of feelings, um, whether that's depression or, or suicidal thoughts and feelings, um, helping helping people who are feeling uh, those emotions, um, but also creating content that just shows that life is good and that life is more like a, a journey through the wilderness than anything else. And you know, if we just look to that light and keep moving forward, we'll we'll find our way home. We'll find you know what God intended us to become. Um, so, you know, those are the kinds of things that I've been writing about lately and I, and I've been finding a lot of, uh, a lot of fulfillment doing that now. And then, you know, I'll, I'll always be writing novels. I think as long as I keep that, that spiritual element inside of my novels, I'll be very, you know, very, very happy that, that, that to me is a very fulfilling life, but who knows, maybe somewhere down the line, God's going to, God's going to choose something else. And, and, uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, the, the the computer will burn down and you know or something <laughs> yeah. will happen an accident and, and God will say no but I need, I need you to do something else and, and I'll think oh no no why why is this <laughs> happening why is this happening but that's just how God you know nudges you in the right direction so that's what I'm working on now well I, I have a final question but before that where can people find you where can they find uh, what you're doing with the suicide prevention and your books and your blog all of that. Most of my suicide prevention content will originate uh, from my YouTube channel uh, and then make its way onto my blog. So I'll give you the address for both of those. And it's really easy. It's just my full name. Um, so it'll be youtube.com slash Seth Adam Smith. Um, and my blog, which is um, SethAdamSmith.com. That is easy. And people can access your uh, links to your books as well from there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they'll be on. That'll be on my website. And if you you can't find me, just go to Amazon.com and and type in my name, Seth Adam Smith. Yep, that's what I did. Okay, so <laughs> Seth, it's been over ten years now since you climbed out of your lowest low. And before we wrap up, I'd like you to tell our listeners what you have learned since then, the past ten years. And I know that's a really loaded <laughs> question. So you know, whatever first comes to your head, what is one of the biggest take takeaway lessons of the past ten years? Life is like a hike through the Grand Canyon. It's um, incredibly hard. I mean, incredibly hard. It'll, it'll really beat you up. But um, when you get to the top of that really difficult hike, it's, it's more beautiful, more wonderful than you could ever imagine. And then when you get to that top and you look back, um, you realize that there was joy along the way as well. So really, if I could tell... Anyone who's struggling with suicidal thoughts and feelings or depression, um, if I could tell them anything, I would tell them that life is hard, but it is worth living. Well, Seth, this has been, this in more ways than one, a really special and needed uh, interview. And I'm so looking forward to people hearing you and your wisdom and accessing all the things that you are offering to the world. I'm grateful to know you and thank you for being on the show with me today. Well, thank you, Monica. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. Seth had so many jewels of wisdom in this interview, but the one I can't get out of my head is his view of perfectionism and how he tied it into nature. I know I'm not going to look at perfectionism the same again, and that's coming from someone who thinks a lot about it. So thank you again, Seth, for being on the show. I have included in the show notes ways for you to follow along with Seth. His books and his blog are incredible, as is his campaign called Life is Worth Living. I encourage you to share this interview with Seth, as well as his writings, with anyone you can. His YouTube channel is much the same as his speaking, very compelling. 
I would also check that out and share it as well. My show notes are at aboutprogress.com if you're unable to access it through your app. I want to tell you who you'll be hearing from next week before I speak about some house cleaning items. Mark Lukacs will be here. He is another author. I was on a roll this month with Mel Guess, and it makes me really happy. Mark wrote a viral article as well, and it turned into a book called My Lovely Wife in the Psych Ward. You guys, I could not put this book down. And that is the highest compliment coming from a mother of three who falls asleep every time she sits down. I loved hearing from Mark about his wife's struggles with bipolar and psychosis. But even more, I enjoyed hearing from him about how he and Julia, his wife, have worked so hard to keep their family intact and to continue to grow and love each other in their new normal. There's so much to learn from him, so come back next Wednesday to hear that interview, and I definitely buy his book in the meantime. Now to some behind-the-scenes information for you and a request. First, could you do me a favor? I have a survey. I need at least 200 people to fill out. Yep. While I do not want this podcast to be riddled with ads, my goal all along has been for it to at least pay for itself by the end of my first year. The survey is something that advertisers need so that we can eventually get real sponsors for the show. And when that happens, I promise I'll be incredibly selective about who I choose to work with. I'll always be genuine about my use of the product and services. And I'll also be careful about how much time is devoted to advertisements on my podcast. Some podcasts spend the first six minutes doing ads. I am not kidding. And, but that will never be me. The Audible shoutouts I've been doing the past month are not actually sponsored. The link is affiliate though. So I would get paid for each person that signs up. No one signed up yet. So just so you know, that was an experiment for me. I wanted to practice having a sponsor, quote unquote, even though they haven't paid me a cent and see what it's like to include a short promotion on each show and something that I already use and believe in. I think it does blend well enough. So I see any sort of promotion that I do uh, to be similar in nature when that time comes. I always want to be transparent with you. So here's that information if you are curious. I'm certain it will still be a few months before we get a real sponsor here, but in the meantime, I need to collect that information so we can get ones that are really applicable to our audience. I know I ask each time if you can subscribe and leave a review, and this is another request on top of all that. I do know it's a very short survey. It should take you less than five minutes, and I've included that link in the show notes for you, and that's on my website, aboutprogress.com. If you do it, bless you, and thank you. Thank you so much. That is it today, folks, and I look forward to next Wednesday. And until then, take care of yourself.